0: Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma.
1: Welcome to another edition of Mind My Money, presented by Pinnacle. I'm Bill McCready, Martin Paloma with me as always today. We're going to talk about a number of topics. Housing uh, markets, conglomerates, buying up residential housing, turning them into rental properties. Martin's got some info on that. He's kind of A listener to the show sent me a, um, I guess it was the right message on Twitter, about this topic and so i found that i thought this would be a good thing for us to kind of talk about so we'll talk about that we'll Let the markets uh, current events who knows what else will come up in our uh, in our conversation today so thanks for making us a part of your week and being uh loyal listeners really appreciate that uh i'll tell you real quick before we get rolling i'm in the clark ford studios clark ford is in amory mississippi 662-257-1900 is that number call it ask for Corey Clark, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. And he will send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, the rest completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do. And that's hop into a Clark Ford today. 662-257-1900. And Martin, before uh, we get started, tell the people about what's going on at Pinnacle and how they can reach out to you guys.
0: Indeed, man. Um, we are, we are, we are rocking and rolling, uh, at Pinnacle. I'm, I'm actually excited the next two weeks. Um, well, I guess I'll, I will be on air with you next week. I've got a, I've got a, a conference that I'm, that I'm going to, to exhibit and, uh, and have a booth and a trade show, which I'm really excited about because <clears throat> man, it has been, this, this will be the first, uh, this will be the first one that I've been live to where I've been able to exhibit. and since. Pre-COVID. So it's kind of, you know, a few more things kind of feel like uh, we're starting to life is, is returning to whatever pre-COVID life looked like. So, I mean, very selfishly, I'm excited about that. But uh summertime's usually kind of a little bit of a, a weird space and, you know, in markets. And then also, you know, with clients, it's a time when they don't really want to look at portfolios. Most people are, you know, vacationing or hanging out with their family. <clears throat> with their little short break that they get in between school years but but also generally a really good time to you know to take a look at you know at your portfolio and and make sure that um that you're on track and and there's not any adjustments that you need to make cuz usually when school starts things get busy again and folks get busy and they don't they don't look at it so you know if it's been a while since you've you know looked at your portfolio and and of course if you look now it's it's going to hurt you're going to bleed a little bit although last month was a reprieve from uh from the previous months but um you know if you're confused or a little got a little bit of fear in your belly uh because you don't know and you don't know what you don't know that's kind of what we specialize in is the is the known unknowns so um give us a call 601-957-0323 we can certainly help you make it behave and uh and have more realistic expectations um you can also email us at info at com. All right, so got a like I said, a direct message from a
1: um, listener. He said, hey, Neil, I was listening to your most recent mind on my money. You both briefly talked about the housing market. There's a company called Progress Residential that has been buying homes for cash, then renting them out at terrible rates. Laverne, Tennessee, which is a suburb of Nashville, has been decimated with this. I get calls multiple times a week for them to buy our home. I'm afraid companies like that can ruin the housing market or even a neighborhood. This may be a topic of interest. I like what you guys do. Thanks for all of the great podcast. And he says, to add, it's a company that is owned by a collective of investors. Many are not known. One is the heir to the Seagram's uh, spirits, the, the, the bourbons and such started uh during the 2008 recession. You and I were talking about this a little bit before we got started. I mean, I hear about this even in places like Oxford. Yeah. And um it's scary, really um the 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 there's two things that come up with the housing markets. One is that people put their houses on the market and they're gone in a day. Yep. Uh, I said I said three things. I sh- I said two. I meant three. The second is that people are getting a ton of money for their houses, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But then you have to turn around and find a place to live. And that's difficult. And if companies that don't care about the 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 towns or the neighborhoods or whatnot, if they're buying these places and turning them into t- buying uh homes and turning them into residential I'm sorry, turning them into rental properties, and you don't have a strong HOA. Yep, um, that's a problem. Like we have, I'm on, I'm, I'm in my neighborhood. I'm in, I'm on our board of directors or whatever it's called, and I'm. We've got a meeting coming up next week and big annual meeting coming up, and this has been on my mind. Like we talk about all of these things. You know about hey somebody wants to do this to their house we approve it or whatever and you know people are like hey you know got we got speed bumps we need speed bumps need less speed bumps need more speed bumps (laughs) Um, by the way I can't I'll never understand the people that hate speed bumps in a neighborhood it's just they're driving too fast I I mean yeah if if you could see our neighborhood before the speed bumps it was turning into a speedway and yeah you know I kept someone was going to get hurt like there's there's a there's a family across the street from us now um young family and they've got these two uh these two little boys who are all boy i mean they they are outside all day which is great that's awesome yeah, yeah it's awesome yeah but they if there is a ball they are playing ball whether it is football or ba- right now they're baseball crazy and it's great they're out there playing awesome. wiffle ball and 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 um and stuff, and it's fun. Like it makes. It, it, I look out there, and I'm like, "Hey, fellas, you don't know how good it is right now. Enjoy, soak this up." Yeah. Um. But they're out playing ball. But my point is, they're boys. They're little guys, right? They're. I don't know how old the oldest one is. I'm. I, I'm guessing he's like six or seven. And, you know, they're trying to get an out, right? So the ball gets hit in the air, and 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 goes into the street. They're not thinking about not cars, man. Yeah. They're 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 thinking about getting the to ball. the ball, right? Because some of their little buddies come over and one versus one turns into two versus two and now you're cooking. And and um and they're having fun and they're not thinking about stuff. And so it's up to the people that are in a residential neighborhood. I know this is a novel concept. It's up to the people driving in a residential neighborhood to be cognizant of the fact that there are going to be kids there are going to be dogs, walkers, joggers, stuff in a neighborhood because people live there. It's called a residential neighborhood, which means people live there. So when you're driving in a neighborhood, you that's not when you need to be locked on your phone going 47 miles an hour r- racing down a street. You need to be paying attention in in a residential neighborhood. And I'm always surprised at the number of people that go, like, "Hey man, these speed bumps are really a pain in the ass." It's like, "Yeah, I, we had one. I can't believe I'm doing all this. I'm sorry. We had one one person that used to live on our street bitched about the speed bumps because they 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 were afraid that the speed bumps would impact their ability to sell their house.
0: What?
1: And I was like, what? What? what?
0: That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. Anyway, but you, do, I think they're more worried about the speed bumps. Uh, what it does to his vehicle when he hits it at 50 miles an hour. Yeah, you know, the goal is to get you to... St- like it destroys my. Yeah. suspension well yeah but not, not if, if you're going 50 it
1: does if you're not, going not if you're five going five or 10 yeah. not it, if you're going two miles an hour work. right um but anyway i mean this is one of the things i kind of want to talk about is hey do we have our bylaws written in such a way to handle stuff like this because it's a slippery slope with rentals right especially here you have in oxford it's it's kind of like a little cottage industry that people have which is it's very hard for like the football games, um, graduation weekend, um, double decker slash Grove Bowl weekend or, or whatnot. You can you can rent your house out and make make some nice coin. You know, Airbnb and stuff. Someone's coming up for the LSU football game or the Alabama football game or whatever. It's almost impossible to get a hotel, and hotels are crazy expensive. And you know, so you, you rent out somebody's house. Well. Does that create an opening to turn it into a full time rental deal? That's one of the things I'm gonna ask about is hey, do we are we positive that we have this rental language um ironed out because we don't need that to happen. Because once it started happening, if it starts to happen, you know, a company comes in and pays what, fifty, sixty thousand dollars over asking price to get the deal done real quick, and then all of a sudden it's a rental property.
0: Yeah, cause I mean, and you know, a lot of times those those financial buyers and we'll, we'll 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 not we'll leave the, you know, mom and pop group where it's like, you know, uh, a person who lives in Oxford that has, you know, 10 rental properties in his portfolio or, or 20 that, that, you know, that they put their eyes on frequently. We're, we're not talking about those people. We're going to talk about the financial buyers that are either, you know, hedge funds or, you know, private buying groups that are out of state, they never lay their eyes on the property. If you told them the address, they would have no idea, you know, what you're, what you're even talking about. Um, you know, and in those cases, I think there is, you know, just in my neighborhood. So I don't have an HOA in my neighborhood in Jackson and, uh, my brother lives, uh, well used to, he just actually bought a house. Finally, it took him seven months to, to be able, cause he, he kept losing it to, <laughs> to financial buyers that were all cash, You know, no closing costs, no realtor fees, um, which as a seller is, you know, is pretty, is pretty attractive. Anyway, um, so there's a couple of homes on my street that were purchased by, um, you know, a group out of the Carolinas. I think they're out of North Carolina. And they have one property manager that is here in Jackson. I think they have, like last time I heard, it was like 400 or 500 homes in the Metro Jackson area that they had purchased to you know to be able to rent and they were your very typical you know three bedroom two bath you know 17 to 2200 square feet type type houses well there's there I, it's i always know which ones are the rentals that are out of town rentals or out of town owners on our street because um, the yards are are not maintained at all and you know there's no cars in the driveway uh and it doesn't look like there's generally any work going on. Um and you know, and I know sometimes people do they'll you know, they'll get it and rent it and then take care of those things, but um but it is pretty unsightly. And in Jackson, I'm not saying this is the case in Oxford, but in Jackson what'll end up happening is you know, the homeless folks or um or drug users that are kind of walking the streets, um, you know, we'll take notice that, Hey, that grass is really tall and I I never see cars in that driveway. And then all of a sudden you look up and, um, that house has become a drug den or you've got squatters in there, um, that are, you know, not paying anything and there's no one putting their eyes on it. Um, and then also, so, I mean, that kind of, you know, drives down the property value of the houses that are around them. And we're having this issue in Jackson right now too, with, um, with all these, with a lot of empty homes. Uh, And I don't know if they are, you know, corporately or corporately owned, you know, financial buyers outside of, of Jackson. I'm going to, I'm going to gamble that the, that the landlord is not local. Um, You know, and, and it's, and it's becoming quickly a, a really big, a really big issue for home values here. And we don't have an HOA that, in my neighborhood and these other neighborhoods that prevent that the neighborhoods that do have h o a s you know generally don't have that issue, oh yeah, you know it's not local it's 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 somebody who
1: it's some corporate conglomeration probably and and they, that way they have plausible deniability on anything too,
0: yeah, you know, and one of the things that you know and those and those guys when you're a financial buyer, you're just looking at cash flow um you know, and a lot of times there'll be, you know, investors that are out of town and they're just looking at the prices of things and don't really understand the neighborhood really, really well. Like one great example, and this is, this is a, not, not a residential, but it's still real estate related. It's, it's Chipotle. They just announced that we're getting our first Chipotle in Jackson and they are putting it on County Line Road, which County Line Road has gone downhill, all the businesses moved off of County line. Um, and I'm kind of scratching my head and I'm going, who made that decision? You know, and Chipotle is corporately owned. Um, you cannot franchise. I tried uh, when I moved back from, from DC, you cannot be a franchisee and own a store. And so what I learned with Chipotle was that, uh, you can send in a request to them in Colorado to say, Hey, I want a Chipotle in my town. And they do some analytics, you know, on what's publicly available information. And I 100% bet what happened is they said, hey, um, we're going to draw a circle of five miles and we want to know the, you know, average income, median income, the net worth, and are these homeowners versus renters in this area? And then they say, hey, this looks like a good area for us. And then they just try to find the least expensive real estate that they possibly can. Well, in Jackson, you have, you know, a multi million dollar neighborhood, i.e. Eastover, and then just two miles to the west, you have Cracktown in the ghetto. So it's like, dude, like you can't do that. You can't you can't draw a circle in Jackson and be like, oh, well, because these are million dollar homes over here, you know, all of this areas in this five mile circle is gonna be a good area. It just doesn't work like that. I think the people who did Chipotle um, you I think Chipotle corporate is going to be, you know, in for, a, a rough time with that location. I'll still support it during the day. You know, I'll go over there. Um, but they're probably going to have a lot of issues with, uh, you know, cash being stolen or, you know, or getting robbed <laughs> just to, just cause of the area that it's in. Um, but again, that's just that it's, that's out of town people trying to do real estate plays and not understanding the neighborhood or not understanding you know what's going on and and really kind of probably not caring just they're trying to get cash flow out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I wouldn't I would I'd be hesitant to go to work at a place like that just The world's crazy right now. It's all I'm not get not to get political at all. Just the world's crazy
0: right now. Yeah. I mean You know, things are different, man. And I mean, because like, just think about buying a home, you know, even just five years ago. So we bought, we bought our house that we're in five years ago. Uh, Interest rates were good. I mean, our interest rate, our original interest rate on it was like 4.75 or something like that. So we didn't, you know, we got a good rate, especially historically. Um, But the buying process was so different because it was still that, hey, you know, you put an offer in. Um you know, realtors are going to talk. There's some negotiating that happens, you know, and it's a three month process from, from start to finish. And man, what just happened in the last, well, really since the beginning of COVID, well, I'm going to pause there. Let's, let's actually back up to the, the great financial crisis in 2008. That, that actually did set back a generation. um, And it's my generation, From, you know, a lot of those folks that should have become homeowners from, you know, 2008 through, you know, call it 2020, there was a delayed impact of them actually, um, you know, becoming, becoming homeowners. And then a lot of real estate developers and, and builders got so hurt in 2007 and 2008 that, that they weren't building, you know, the, 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 the average number of homes each year to kind of keep up with demand. And then, so kind of what's happened is, you know, over the course of the last 12 years, um, we kind of got behind the eight ball with supply of houses, you know, in the nation. And that's not something you can just kind of catch up on overnight, right? It's not like, I mean, building a house from start to finish takes months to do. Um, and it's a big investment, you know, on the front end. So just going and all of a sudden, like, you know, bam, throwing, you know, getting us up to the amount of supply we need is just is not possible. So that's kind of one issue that was lingering this whole time um, for that was, you know, hadn't showed its head, but finally did, you know, kind of uh, in the latter part of of last of the last decade. And then you had those folks that had a delayed start from, you know, becoming a quote unquote adult by purchasing their own home because they were living at home with their folks. Um, you know, got, couldn't find a job and they graduated college 2008, you know, worked odd jobs and now they're kind of getting their first, uh, you know, feel of, of, you know, getting a first home bought. Plus you have the generation behind them that is doing what they were supposed to do, you know, at the time they were supposed to do it. So there was this mass, um, you know, amount of, of demand, for For housing, and then interest rates being so low made it even more attractive, so you almost had like this perfect storm for this this burst of demand for housing to happen in an, in a, in a time when supply was below you know what it should have been so then you see firms that you know have a lot of money um and Zillow kind of being a good example of this, and we'll talk about them in a minute, but kind of seeing that hey there's a trend here. Of you know there's going to be a lot of demand for housing, and so what they would go in and do is buy these houses for cash, um, get a quick quick close um, you know get it get it on their books, and then do a couple things to it and try to flip it and make a profit and Zillow thought that they were going to have a a business model doing that using kind of algorithms um, you know in the computer to to figure out trends and I know one of my mentors sold his condo in nashville to zillow and the price that zillow paid him for it and then what they ended up actually selling it for they had a loss on um, and, and i'm not even i don't know what they pumped into it you know if they replaced paint and or repainted replaced appliances i don't know if they did any of that but they sold it for less than they bought it and zillow kind of got caught in a crunch of of um you know of where there was where they were in a situation of they had overpaid for what the market could really handle, um, you know, to, for, to buy it back. Uh, so I know they, they had a little fiasco that was, um, I don't know, late 2020, early 2021, something like that. Um, but then you have folks that, you know, that are buying them up and, and trying to rent them and driving. So you remember we talked about rents, being a part of inflation like it was many shows ago when we were talking about inflation yeah um you know rents being a a large part of inflation well a lot of that is because there were no supply of homes to buy so people were being forced to continue to rent and the landlords were able to pretty much just i mean housing is a is a very basic need it is the foundational need right housing food shelter water yeah uh air (laughs) is you know your your basics so uh, you know, when there was no supply for people to buy. And even like my brother, my brother didn't want to continue to rent. He wanted to own his home, but he had to continue to rent for another um, you know, eight months and he was on month to month and his rent was significantly more than when he was locked into a you know a one year or two year lease, too. All right, I've talked a lot. I'm gonna shut up and let you All right, respond you, or Well ask questions. you mentioned inflation. So it's yeah. the question that I mean man,
1: you you know, you You get out. I don't get out. (laughs) I don't go anywhere, but i talk to people. I I wreck
0: sailboats. (laughs) (laughs) You wreck sailboats and I just, that's right. I just do nothing. I just, just, all of our listeners are like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. That's a pre-show
1: inside joke, but everyone's concerned about inflation, right? I mean, the summer coming up and people are talking about gas prices and yeah. Tell about the prices of homes and and you, you go to the grocery store. I noticed see, I bought dog food yesterday. Okay? Yeah. Um got two uh Labrador retrievers. That uh one of them one of them fights weight, even though he we, we really control what he eats. He just he just does, he he's a big boy. And so we have to get I guess we don't have to get, but we get some special dog food that, you know specifically kinda of helps him control his weight because if you've ever had a Labrador Retriever, you do know they will eat anything. Anything at all that's put in front of them. Um so um but I noticed the price of their dog food has gone up twenty dollars. Uh dog food. You go to the grocery store and the your checkout at the grocery store is just it's unbelievable uh the the prices that have gone up. So I'm reading from the Wall Street Journal. This is Nick Timurayos. I think we've read Nick's work before. Uh, Federal Reserve Vice Chairwoman Lyell, I guess that's how you say it, Brainerd, said she expected it would be appropriate for the central bank to raise interest rates by a half percentage point at its meeting later this month and again in July, but said it was too soon to say whether the Fed might slow the pace of rates after that. Ms. Brainerd said it was premature to conclude that inflation had peaked and that the next several months of data on price pressures and economic activity would be important in determining whether the Fed continued to raise rates in September by a half percentage point or by the more traditional quarter point increment. Quote, if we don't see the kind of deceleration in monthly inflation prints, if we don't see some of that really hot demand starting to cool a little bit, then it might be appropriate to have another meeting where we proceed at the same half percentage point pace. Miss Brainerd said during an interview on CNBC on Thursday, quote, if we are seeing a deceleration in the monthly prints, it might make sense to be proceeding at a slightly slower pace. All right. So your job here, Martin is to put that into layman's terms to make people understand what we're looking at. And, there's another couple of stories that I'm going to get to. So we'll start there and then I'm going to get to a couple of stories of bringing uh, inflation and stuff to a more personal level than the Fed, which seems to look at this from sort of on high.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and the Fed, the Fed's a little behind the eight ball. um, And I, I, and I've said this before and, and I'll continue saying it. Like I have, I think, uh, I think Jay Powell and his team have, have really done a a great job through all of this, you know, the, the only little black eye that they have, and it's really kind of not little, (laughs) it's kind of becoming a big black or became a bigger black eye, was, um, that, you know, they had, they had originally stated and, 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 and I, and I understood what they were saying. So I, you know, I kind of bought into it as well that they thought inflation was going to be, you know, transitory. That was the word. It was going to be temporary. And it was only going to persist, um, you know, for a period of time due to that we were essentially shut down, um, and you know there was no demand for gas, there was no demand for air travel, no demand for hotels. Um, so essentially, prices fell precipitously. So when demand came back when we reopened, you would naturally expect that, um, you know, that prices would be elevated year over year, um, and that you would have just by definition, inflation, right? because those prices were more than they were a year ago. well, what didn't happen is the supply chain issues did not get fixed. Um, China has gone into I think a total of either two or three shutdowns, China being you know we where we import uh, the, probably the bulk of our goods from um so so inflation didn't end up being temporary or transitory so the tool that you know the fed has to fight inflation is you know is by raising interest rates um which they kind of started a little slowly doing and so now they're in a catch-up mode and i think what you know what fed chair Brainerd or fed uh the fed well i guess she is a fed chair she's a board member Brainerd. um what she is kind of saying is hey We think that we might be kind of towards the the top of this where inflation has peaked. Um, And right now they're going to stay on track for two more half percent um, hikes, you know, one this month and then one the next month. And that's kind of their language right now, which is one reason we're also, you know, we had a lot of volatility in stock markets in the, you know, earlier in the year because that was not that language was kind of not priced in to the markets. Um so what can kind of happen I'll give you kind of the two scenarios that could happen with the Fed path and then what that impact is for um you know for for markets and then also for for home buyers. So we know for sure we're going to get this next half percent or 50 basis point um you know uh hike in rates. In, And the market has already priced that in. The market's already priced in a a second one next month. Um, You know, but what could happen is they could look at, you know, inflation data for for May. And, you know, if we see a a relatively decent drop, you know, in year over year inflation numbers, um, you know, they may say, well, we're going to go ahead and do this last one and we're not going to do any more for the rest of the year. Which would then, I think, markets would kind of take off because the markets are expecting several more rate hikes. Um, if for some weird, unforeseen reason—which I this is not my base case at all—that the that inflation was down significantly, which I just don't see how that's even possible, seasonally, seasonally adjusted, but you know, but significant. Um, you know, we could see them pull the the um, f- the second fifty basis point. Rate hike after the te- off the table, and maybe drop it down to a quarter percent or 25 basis points. That's not my base case. Uh, that's a real frothy, um, you know, look. In that case, what would happen is markets would probably take off, um, because that would be really good news for 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 markets. And then you would see, um, you know, home interest rates on mortgages probably kind of level out, or maybe even slightly. You know, tick down. Uh, again, that's not what I think is going to happen. I think the former, what I talked about. You know, you're going to get two half percent hikes. Market already has that price in. Maybe they don't do the the um, quarter percents that they said they would do the end of the year. Maybe they do. I think that's just going to have to. We're going to have to look and see. Um, you know what the numbers look like. I kind of feel like we we get those two fifty half percent in and we might be done for the year. Um, it just depends on, on what the inflation numbers look like now. And I know people probably like, well, man, how can you say that, you know, with rising gas prices, that those numbers are going to go down year over year. But when you seasonally adjust and summertime generally, you know, gas prices are higher in summer months than they are, um, uh, you know, in other months, just cause people are Traveling, There's more demand for, for gas. But then also, you know, I just saw before we, before we got on air that, uh, that OPEC is going to release, you know, some more, um, you know, additional surplus of oil into the markets. Now it's not a significant amount. I don't know that it will, you know, I don't know that it will push gas prices down, but it could just level them off to where they don't rise Anymore through the summer, in which case if that happens, you know, you would see seasonally adjusted prices year over year kind of begin to fall. So there's, um, I think it's very likely that we, that inflation persists for, you know, for at least summertime. I think by late, I think by fall, um, we'll start seeing it come down a little more, a little more drastically, um, and then also, you know, for home buyers, you know, even though rates are up, I mean, historically speaking, it's still, they're still relatively low on a historical average. Um, you know, I mean, I know when I bought my first home, I think my rate was like seven and three quarters or something like that. Or I know it was in the sevens. And I mean, I didn't have, I didn't have any credit. So I didn't have good credit. I didn't have bad credit. I didn't have any credit. So I know my rate was higher than than average. But I mean, that probably means that, you know, good credit was probably six and a quarter, maybe six and a half. I don't know. Um, so, you know, it's still a good time to buy a home if you can find one, which is I think now that we've come circled the wagons and come full circle is, you know, it's the financial buyers, um, that have stepped in, but you know, like my brother, he did finally get one. He did finally get a house. Um, that, you know, took him eight months and losing a lot of contracts before he did it.
1: Here's another story. It's another little thing we haven't touched. We've talked a lot of inflation on this show. We haven't talked about um, how the fiscal stimulus stimuli that were produced, how that's kind of impacted the uh, the economy. This is from David Benoit, Wall Street Journal. It says, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, Chief Executive, Jamie Dimon, or Demon, Diamond? Diamond.
0: <laughs> Diamond. <laughs> demon. Uh, some people would say he's a demon. Um, I respect the guy. But I, I, know where, I know what story you're about to read. Said go U. ahead and read.
1: Said, U.S. consumers still have six to nine months of spending power left in their bank accounts, but warned of an economic hurricane brewing. The head of the nation's biggest bank said the recent drop in American savings rate Hadn't altered his view that the government's pandemic stimulus is still padding consumers' wallets. He estimated that some two trillion in extra funds are still waiting to be spent. As an aside, I have a um, a friend. I'm, you I'm, have
0: two trillion in your savings account. I don't.
1: Uh, <laughs> I have a friend who is aware of. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I'd, I'm stay very vague. Who is aware of the level of fraud? That occurred with some of the PPP and and um, and idle loans.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's
1: unbelievable what happened. It is unbelievable the lack of oversight that occurred at the federal level, passing out these loans. Yeah. It is, and then forgiving them. Unbelievable the amount of money that was blown through over this stupid virus. I'm sorry. History will go back, and in a hundred years, we'll all be gone. It will look back and go, "What in the hell were they thinking?" There's no doubt in my mind, zero doubt, literally zero. I'd stake everything on that. All of the shutdowns didn't have to happen, but what the to to do the to do what they did financially to create. The, the the leverage that it's 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 unspeakable the amount of fraud that occurred. It is it is unspeakable, and there's no appetite to go after it because to go after they it, don't,
0: yeah, they don't have the manpower no, to do that. It's
1: not even the manpower. They don't have the appetite for it, yeah, because to do it, you're gonna get labeled, and if you get labeled. Unless you have the manpower of a Johnny Depp to fight the label, it sticks. And by the way, kudos. How good of a
0: job did his attorney gosh, man. It took real courage. That that woman was She's evil. The Johnny Depp's Amber Heard? No, Amber Heard. Okay. I'm th- I was talking about her attorney. Yes. His, his attorney now, was his attorney was awesome.
1: I mean she was brilliant. It's amazing to me. I saw some people say what a setback for the Me Too movement. And and some of the some of the people upset about that. I'm like, you know, instead of worrying about Amber Heard, why don't you look at like Depp's attorney and say that's a role model?
0: Yeah. Anyway.
1: Yeah. Back to the story. It's
0: kind of fascinating that that whole that whole I, I didn't get I didn't I, I was a late bloomer to the the whole deal but um it was almost comical the stuff that happened in the courtroom but anyway we won't we won't hit that rabbit that rabbit trail
1: uh he says the fiscal stimulation still in the pocketbooks of consumers they are spending it he said at an investor conference wednesday u.s households boosted spending for a fourth straight month in april but the rate at which they were setting aside savings fell to its lowest point in 14 years According to data released last week, that raised concerns that consumers were tapping into savings to keep up with inflation and that the pandemic stimulus Um, had run out. Yep. Uh, Mr. Is it Diamond? Mr. Diamond said the data is heavily distorted by inflation impacts and shifting consumer spending patterns in goods and services. Lower income households aren't quite as healthy. Yep. He added. I agree with that. Uh, JP Morgan said in April that its customers, many of whom are affluent, were spending more on travel and dining. He said the strong job market and higher wages would bolster bolster it along. It's who gets hurt by inflation the most is the the
0: the the poor, yeah, and the middle class. The I would say, class, yeah. and 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 right now, very specifically, too, it's the poor and and the and the middle class because, dude, the you know, wages did go up, but they didn't go up by enough to, and I think that's what Jamie Dimon is is alluding to. And and I, I, so I watched the video of the conference when he was, when he said that too. And one of the things he said was, you know, that he said there was a storm coming in a past interview, that there was a storm coming and, you know, an economic storm coming and we needed to prepare ourselves for that. And he was really talking about the impacts of inflation on the consumer and and, and companies and businesses. And then he said, you know, well, I used, I said there was a storm coming, but now, you know, it's a, it's a hurricane. And then right after that, he said, I don't know if it's a small hurricane or a big hurricane, but it's right off of our shores. And, um, yeah. I, and I don't know if the wall street journal writer wrote that, that what he said in there after the, it's a hurricane. Cause they've sensationalized him saying, you know, it's a hurricane. And, um, and he's not wrong. I mean I don't know that I would be as dramatic uh about it as he is, but it's but for upper middle class and wealthy families probably will not feel that storm at all so if, you know if I can kind of think about a hurricane um you know if you have a if you have a home on the beach and let's just say you have a you know a four story home and i'm going to put our classes of people in those stories. The first floor is your poor people. The second floor is your, you know, your middle, lower middle-class to mid-mid middle-class people. Third floor is your upper middle-class. Fourth floor is your, you know, your, your wealthy families. Uh, the storm surge is definitely going to take out the first floor. Um, probably going to take out the second floor too, but the third and the fourth floor are probably still going to be standing and not realize that, you know, that uh that the bottom two floors are are no longer there because they're partying and drinking and having a good time and and you know and th- and things like that, but like four dollar or four dollar and thirty cents a gallon gas for someone who makes two hundred fifty thousand dollars, it pisses you off right but but it doesn't really impact your your budget, but someone who makes you know a hundred thousand dollars a year that's a meaningful impact into the budget and someone who makes $50,000 a year, it doesn't piss you off. It, it cripples you. It hurts you because then you're having to look at the budget and say, what What do I cut to make up for that? And if you're, you know, and if, and if you're making $50,000 a year and I kind of did this whole diagramming out of budget with Oxford PD, um, you know, a couple of, of weeks ago, and we kind of used the $50,000 range, um, you know, as the starting line for our budget, there's, there is no margin. There's, there's nothing left, you know, at the end of the month to take on, you know, a massive increase in your core needs and gas to get to work, you know, in your food for the house. The only thing in the grocery store that seems to be inflation proof at least in my Kroger, is milk. Uh, you know, milk at my Kroger has has not increased. I think I think you and I have joked about this before. I think milk is Kroger's loss leader. <laughs> I think they just say, hey, we're not going to raise the price of milk and we're going to hope you come in and we you're going to buy, you know, a gallon of milk and now the six dollar a box cocoa puffs <laughs> instead of the four dollar. <laughs> it was four dollars six could, months ago. It now could it's, be now it's six bucks. Uh, but milk where, cause you know, the price of milk, the price of all the other stuff is on those little bitty, you know, I'm going to call it one inch tall by an inch and a half or two inch wide, you know, price stickers, but man for milk, it's a, it's an eight and a half, eleven 11 by 11 sheet of paper on the door. And just for milk, they don't do it for chocolate milk. Cause my chocolate milk for Gia, you know, it's $4 and 29 cents for, for a, a little half gallon, but, but but milk at my Kroger just does not seem to go up with, with inflation. I don't know. Maybe there's a subsidy, uh, <laughs> government subsidy on milk. I have, I have no idea, but you know, but if you're a, if you're a middle-class family, a, a middle-class family making, you know, $50,000, which that's, you know, we're going to call that the lower middle-class it destroys you. Now with lower class families that are, you know, on some government assistance, I'm, I'm not, I don't have enough experience with how government assistance works. Like if there is a, um, an increase, cause like in social security, they increase the social security check annually by inflation. What I don't know is with like, um, you know, uh, the EBT cards and things like that. If they get an increase with inflation, I just I'm sorry. I'm ignorant on, on that piece. I just don't know that answer. Um, So, but assume let's just assume that a lower class family does not get an inflation increase, then it's devastating. But if they get an inflation adjustment, you know, maybe it's not, it doesn't hurt as bad as that, as that family that's making, you know, 50 to $75,000 a year. And, you know, for me, when I first came out of school, and I had, it was me and, you know, and I was raising two kids. Um, when I came back from DC, I was making peanuts, man. I made, I made 40,000 cleared at, uh, or not forty After my PERS, you know, uh, contribution, I had, I had like $40,000 and then taxes and all that stuff came out. Um, and that was, man, that was, I had to work a second job. I had to, you know, bartend on the weeks that the kids were with their mom just to try to make ends meet. And dude, Jennifer and I were dating at the time. And, and I mean, dude, she contributed a ton to my budget that I didn't ask her to, but she just, I guess she saw me and was like, dude, this guy's in, (laughs) this guy's in batch. And she still married me, which I, I don't understand what, why she did that. But, um, you know, I couldn't make it, man. And I, and, and I was, I was too income. So I was probably making right at 50, you know, 50,000, um, between my job and my second job. And I couldn't put it together. I was reading another story. this wall street journal. JJ McCorby is the author.
1: It's about Nashville. It says few Americans are getting squeezed by inflation in more different ways than the residents of Tennessee's capital housing prices in Nashville have more than doubled over the past 10 years, partly because of a population boom that has brought nearly 400,000 new residents to the metropolitan area. Lots of businesses. Um, That has pushed some locals farther away from the city center, adding hours to their weekly commutes. Meager public transit options means soaring fuel prices are hitting them especially hard. To make matters worse, the price of utilities has exceeded the national average every year since 2009. And the surging population has pushed up the price of daycare, too. Many. Many Nashville residents said in interviews that they're cutting back their spending or taking on more work. Nearly all of them are reevaluating their budgets to determine what is a necessity and what isn't. And some have had enough and are leaving town, which just reminds me of a Chris Stapleton song about um, goodbye Nashville, which is a really good song. Um, Yeah. I mean, this is kind of happening everywhere, right? I mean, this is, I mean, there's this story specifically about Nashville, but, you know, it it used to cost me two years ago. It probably cost me fifty dollars to fill up my F one fifty. Maybe a little less than that. The other day it was one fourteen. One fourteen. We talked about dog food cost. You talk about uh, the cost of of um, everything. Yeah. You know everything. And I mean, I've got what one one kid that's a year away from graduating college. One that's three years away and. Um, you and know, you, one that's knocking on the door, right? Yeah. One that's, you know, for just about to be a sophomore in high school. I mean, you have, right. you have these, these things that you just wonder about. Like, how do you, you know, how do people do this? What's, where does this, where does this stop? I mean, there's, yeah. They're, you know, they're legitimate, legitimate questions out there that people are asking. I mean, it, it's.
0: Yeah. And I think, the, I think the truth, Neil, is that, is that it'll persist for a little while, but, but it won't persist forever. Right. Cause I mean, you kind of think about it, the last time you can, there was and and I was not, you know, like alive, quote unquote or cognizant during that time period to, to have lived through it. But, you know, during the seventies and the eighties, and of course, I mean, I was alive during the eighties, but I was like the boys you were talking about earlier. I was in the middle of the street with my buddies playing stickball. Um, you know, where we had a, a broom handle and a tennis ball and we were playing baseball. Um, you know, that was that was really the last the last period when we had, you know, significant amounts of of inflation and and I hate to say it's different this time, but it is kind of different this time because the Fed is, you know, even though we're the Fed is a little behind the eight ball, they're a lot more active than the fed was during the seventies and eighties. Cause you know, there's a fed chairman that became famous. Um, and his last name was Volcker. Um, and people may have heard that name before or, or read it. But one of the things that he did was he was like, we're going to, if we don't fix this inflation issue, because the fed at that time was just kind of sitting on their hands and looking at each other going, well, what do we do next? Well, what do we do next? And you know, and no one did anything. And inflation just persisted and continued to rise and continue to rise. And then Volcker was like, okay, well, now the only option we have is to, you know, we're not ripping the Band-Aid off because we're way past the Band-Aid. We're, we got to cut the arm off at the elbow. And, and he did it. And he raised interest rates significantly very quick and to tip, um, you know, the economy into a recession because inflation really is an overheated economy, which kind of, you kind of sound like, Hey, well, that actually kind of sounds like a good thing. You know, if the economy is, is, you know, is drumming along and it's overheated, that kind of sounds like a good thing, but balance is the best, you know, is the best thing. And, but the only way for him to, to cool off the economy was to tip it into a recession, uh, which he did, you know, into the eighties. And then, and then we pulled out of that recession, uh, you know, and then we had two decades of, uh, you know, of a relatively strong economy, you know, one for sure full decade in the 90s and then the 2000s, you know, you had, you know, 9-11 and uh, uh, it w- was was not an awesome time period for the economy. But then after that, the economy was was OK all the way up till, you know, 2008. Um, so from 87, really kind of 87 to 2007, you had, you know, a, you had a pretty, pretty good economy. Um, you know, and, but the, but the pain, the pain is, even though it may be short term, um, you know, it's, it's what it's, it's, it makes it feel slower and like, we're never going to get, you know, through this, but we do. And, and the economy recovers and markets recover and, you know, and, and we make it through it, but we get some scars, you know, we get some bumps and bruises and in the eighties, they lost half of an arm. Um, cause I mean, hell, uh, mortgages were, you know, 12, 13, 14% was your interest rate on a mortgage, which meant that you could really afford like a, a $15,000 home because your interest payment was going to be <laughs> so, um, such a big part of the, yeah, I, I don't, of the, of I the hope payment. you're
1: right. I, I, I'm not sure that I, share your optimism. You know more about it than I do. And so I'm going to take your word for it and certainly hope that, that you're right. Um, I I have, I I appreciate that. I have some concerns about it. I really do. I, I have trying not to become the conspiracy theorist. I don't really want to be that person. Um, some of the things that happen just feel intentional. It just seems some of the stuff, things that have happened have been intentional. And maybe this is me still holding quite a grudge about the way that the, the, the COVID thing happened in the spring of 2020. And maybe that's what it is. I'm, I'm, being, I'm just kind of talking out loud as I think about what it is that makes me feel that way. It's, it's that so many of the things that happened in the spring of 2020 were preventable and they knew it and they did it anyway. And, and that there's, a, there's an intent that is present with that. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. You know, and if we can talk about the pendulum, because I think this is a great yeah, illustri- an analogy of it, um, we went way too far. The pendulum swung so far one way, it was almost, you know, uh, parallel to the ground with what happened in, you know, in the early 2020, uh, with all the money that was pumped in and stimulated. And then now we're having this pendulum swing back and we've overswung and that's why we're getting you know, this inflation, uh, and it, and it'll kind of correct itself. It'll swing back and it'll, it may take a little bit of time. And, but I totally understand your, you know, a little bit of fear and anxiety with decision making, you know, at, at, in our nation's capital with, with how to handle this thing. Fortunately, uh, it's not, you know, Jay Powell's team is not the ones that, you know, made the decision to pump, you know, money into everyone's checking account. Now their role in it was that they kept interest rates, you know, low for, for a little long. Uh, I trust his team more than I trust the, anyone that's in the, the two chambers of Congress or in the white house and, and previous administration too, uh, not just current administration.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, I've, I've said this all along when people, people say, Oh, you're bashing Biden. No, I I blame Trump. I blame that administration we're knocking them both. That's what we're bashing them both. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm, bashing both. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't, I'm on record here. I don't think we've had great leadership
0: in our country, um, over the last, I think you can go back a long way. Really? Yeah. Um, I just, you know, and I don't know, and people will say, you know, Oh, well, what, you know, if you were in their position, what would you have done different? And the truth of the matter for me, and I'm not, I won't speak for you as Man, I don't know. I don't know I what do. I would have done.
1: I do. I, I can give you a courageous answer here. Cool. I'll take it. I would have. And now maybe
0: I'll form one after you. I
1: would have insisted on getting more. I would not have leaned on Anthony Fauci oh, in yeah. the way that, that Trump did.
0: Yeah. Uh, I would I'm, have. I was meaning uh, pumping the money into the Well, I'm getting the there. Economy, so. I'm getting there.
1: I would have never shut the economy okay. down. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have either. I would have I think I would have stood my ground on that and said, "Nope, you know what? Sweden's not doing this." Yeah, I'd say, "Look, we're going to wait and see. We're we're, we're not going to do that." I would have gotten the information out much earlier. Look, look, look. We knew. Okay? The media was in on it. The media hated Trump. It was an opportunity. This isn't political. This is fact. Trump was cruising towards re-election. And then the pandemic hit, and it created an opportunity. And they seized on it. That being said, there were some giveaways fairly early. um, Fairly early. That there was something going on. I listen to Adam Carolla a lot. He says this all the time, and he's exactly right. When someone dies, Martin, in a car crash, the, the story tells you how old the person was. 29-year-old, 48-year-old, whatever, died in an accident. Um, former Dallas Cowboy running back Marion Barber third died early this morning or yesterday. I mean, every story has Barber, comma 38, comma. In COVID, when the first deaths started happening, they didn't tell us ages. Should have been a tip-off. Should have been a tip off that hey wait how old are these people that are dying? Cuz if people are in their 90s dying I mean most people in their 90s are getting close anyway. Right? I mean there's a difference between a, a, yeah, you're right. a I'm lot sorry. of I'm,
0: I'm not trying to laugh at it but there's a yeah, difference between a lot man. of
1: senior citizens dying of something <laughs> yeah. and 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 grade schoolers dying. I and mean, we've talked about this all the time. If you knew of a eight-year-old that died of COVID at your kid's yep. school. Yep. You would have it reacted. It all hell would have broke loose. Yes. And, and, yep. and, and the reason that didn't happen is because it didn't happen. <laughs> and so.
0: You trip me out,
1: man. And, Sorry. I'm not. I'm trying. I'm, I'm honestly not trying to giggle. And so I, I don't no, know no, why the president of the United States, in this case, I'm talking about Trump. I don't know why he couldn't get that information to go, now, hold it. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Who is this impacting? Old people? Really bad people in in, in remarkably bad health? Okay. Uh, Are there therapeutics that can treat this? There are. We we should never have shut down. What we did with schools and and universities and small businesses and these insane uh, 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 protocols... All over the country it was wrong. It was it was wrong, and so you you created a, a series of crises: mental health crisis, uh, a financial crisis, a
0: a and then and then Young and, education, yeah, and then yeah, an education crisis where it's been proven. Yeah, well, Gia is still has not caught up. She's yeah. going in the third grade, it's, and she's still behind. I mean, critical years, and and so
1: you you create all these crises, and then. You compound it by going, but I tell you what we can do. Let's just print money. Let's just print money. Stay home two weeks. Here's the money. It was a mistake. It was a, a critical mistake, and 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 it's it's a mistake that our country is still paying for today. We're, we're weird. We're weirder today than we've ever been in our lives. Um, but but financially, I, I I don't know that I I, I think I think that. I think if I had to side, frankly, and, and you know, I, I, I love you. You're my friend. I think if I had to put my money on who's right, uh, Diamond or you, about the next – I think I'd go with him because I think I'm with him. I think this hurricane's coming. I think people right now are spending their savings. I I, I think people are scared. I wonder about young people. I think a, a job crunch is coming. I do. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but that's what I think because I, I just know how – People are when all of a sudden things get tight, you stop growing, you stop spending, you stop hiring, uh, you just pull back, and and there's a there's a trickle down and 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 there's a butterfly effect with all of that that I worry about.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's a well. The wage inflation is a is a part of the inflation issue, also. And then, and I think that you have to stack on a little bit of, of immigration policy, um, has kind of put oxygen into the fire there as well. Um, and then, and I mean, I do think the, you know, the initial pumping of the money into businesses, um, there were definitely some that needed it. Like I think dental practices, like ones that they truly did shut down. Um, but then. Where I saw some holes happen was, you know, the moratorium on evictions. So you had people not paying their rents, um, which just meant that when the moratorium got lifted, they were being, you know, evicted and rents were going to go up so that they could reach. So those uh, landlords could recoup some lost income. What probably should have happened was they should have taken some of the money they were pumping into accounts and say, hey, do you rent? Yes. Are you paying your mortgage? Are you paying your rent? No. Well, we're just going to send that that funds those funds over to your, to your Yes, landlord. There had to have been a better way. And, and so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I agree with you. I just don't know how we overdid it. That's just the, that's the plain and simple yeah. us, is we overdid it. And yeah, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Nope. You know, it is what it is. And, and now we're going to deal with the, and we're, and we'll actually, we will be dealing with the consequences of this for, quite a long time, not in the inflationary piece, cause that will, you know, that will eventually work its way through and get lower, although it will never be at the levels that it was, you know, pre pandemic. Um, but the taxes that are going to be due to pay for those programs that the piper is going to get paid at some point. So those are consequences that we have yet to, to, uh, to even, to even see and face yet. So, yeah, when you ask. Could we have
1: done differently? Yeah, of course we could have done it a lot differently. Should have done it a lot differently. We 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 didn't. We
0: we marched for whatever reason. We let China be our role model. Well, and I think when you make decisions based on fear, that's those are things that happen. And so roll this back all the way to your four hundred one k or your investment account. You know, if you make an emotional decision, there will be consequences. Yes. yes. Uh, so if you just take it with logic and even if it hurts temporarily with logic, if you be logical and emotion-free about your investment decisions, you generally are going to have you know, less consequences, less severe consequences, and, and be in better shape down the road. All right, we've kept people more than an hour. We'll we'll wrap it up there. Uh, <laughs> we'll get off our I we'll would. put our soapboxes up for the Yeah, I don't even
1: I don't even apologize for mine anymore. I keep it <laughs> I, I pretty much limit it to this one podcast. I never talk about people it's funny people are like a, I, I don't I don't I don't want to hear politics on the Oxford Exxon podcast. So I I literally I've gotten to where we talk about nothing on that show other than other than sports, which is what they yeah. want. It's
0: fine. Um Well and and this show, if you're talking about money you're gonna. You have to talk about policy. Yes. Whether it's monetary or fiscal, you have because it's like the wet part of the ocean. I mean, if we're talking about money, money touches everything. Government, you know, individuals, households, cor- it's everything. It touches everything. Yeah. It's the wet part of the ocean.
1: It is. It's. It's. There's no way to talk about fin- finances and the markets and such without talking about politics. So there's, yeah.
0: I mean, just what we said no earlier, way. the Fed is probably the most influential part of markets. I mean, that is literally government and politics yeah so.
1: all right we'll stop there uh thanks right, to thanks to everybody for making us a part of your week we certainly appreciate it uh, we will be back uh, i think i think we're on schedule for next week we'll be back uh next week yep. with another edition of mind on my money presented by pinnacle don't forget it's mypinwealth.com m-y-p-i-n-n wealth.com for martin palomo i'm Neil McCready. mccrady have a great weekend take care